Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of our favorite show, This Week with Wendy, with Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley and Orange County and elsewhere, she decided it was time to create a different real estate business model, and so she did. And thus was born Veracity Real Estate. The time was right for renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. Yeah, we said all price levels. Something you don't see in high-class markets like Southern California. And out of that, Wendy has built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors who are truth seekers and truth tellers. And truth be told, she's going to tell us something today here. I don't know what yet, but it's always something here. Hey, Wendy. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm good. I'm always looking forward to this show because you come up with the most interesting guests and the most uh, fascinating topics here. Hard to top the last couple of weeks. What are we going to do this week here? <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry for today's guest because he's got some pretty big shoes to fill. But, uh, you know, we try to keep it interesting and he's no slouch. Just you wait. Well, he's the sharpest looking guest we've had in a long time here. So. <laughs> Damn skippy. <laughs> that This is true. We work to impress. Right. Well, you know, you know, Paul, you can count on me to bring market analysis you won't find anywhere else. And a part, one of the ways that I'm able to bring you the analysis that you won't find anywhere else is because I align with some of the best minds around, like today's guest, Roy Allen. Roy is a distinguished economist, and uh, he advises family offices and institutional investors, so he's kind of a big deal. He has a particular focus on ESG and mission-driven investing. So we'll let him talk a little bit more about himself in a minute, but uh, it, that explains why he is such an incredibly sharp-dressed man, right? <laughs> he's got to bring it. So Roy earned his degree in economics from the University of Arizona, and then this overachiever, he jaunted off to Europe to play professional basketball. And as if that wasn't enough, he went to the London School of Economics and got his master's degree there. And in his free time, did a little bit of modeling. So he's kind of the, the triple threat. He's he's tall, he's handsome, he's smart. You know, he's, he's going to bring a lot to the table today. So and who knows? He may talk a little bit of smack. Right? A little bit, a little bit. Roy picked up some stuff on the court. I think so. All right. So I can't wait to jump into all things Roy, but as I normally do, just indulge me for a minute, Roy, and I'm going to talk about what happened last week in Orange County. Sure. So we do a week-to-week update. In the last week, we got 280 new housing units listed, which was great. However, 425 went into escrow. So incredible absorption. We don't have enough inventory coming on to, to keep up with this furious demand. We sold 365 of them last week. That was down 10%, but I really have to attribute that to the fact we just didn't have enough to sell. Median days on market was seven, and that was down 10% from the week before. So with all indicators pointing downwards, we have less and fewer and less and fewer. Of course, median price inched up just a little bit again. It went up 1% last week to settle at 956,688. And as one would expect, we sold everything for 100% and slightly more of asking price because people are still competing like mad. And fortunately, or unfortunately, because it's January, our month-to-date assessment is also our year-to-date assessment. And inventory is still at crisis levels. And to give this some context, normally in Orange County, when you go back to the post-crash starting in about 2012, 2013, we would have between six and 7,000 housing units for sale countywide, and then we would absorb between 1,800 and 2,000 of those units. So far, we have 2,452 housing units. Three weeks into the month, we have less than half what we would normally have, yet we've already sold 
1,362 of them. So we're totally on trend. We're going to hit the typical number of homes that we sell with about 45% the typical inventory levels. And that is exactly why our median days on market is seven, when historically at this point in time, it would be 43. People are losing track of that. It would normally take 43 days median to sell a home here because people don't buy $10 million homes every day and we have a lot of them here. So we're at crisis. It's kind of tedious. I wish it would change. And that's why I have people like Roy here to talk about why we're in this dilemma that we're in. <laughs> no pressure, Roy. Just, no pressure. Just saying. Yeah, we have a super hot, re- hot real estate market. And the economic markets have been swinging wildly in response to various things like COVID and the Fed's response to inflation. And as we were discussing a moment ago, some political trigger points like the growing concerns over Ukraine. So I, I would love for you, Roy, to give us some insight into what you think is going on out there. And of course, thank you so much for coming. It's been my pleasure. We can talk about all of that, but I think that what we really have to do is to consider that our economy is a combination of democracy and capitalism, mm-hmm. and no one disputes that. I think it was uh, where they say that um, Winston Churchill said it's the best possible combination except all others, <laughs> and he was right. He was absolutely right. So for people like you and people like me and homeowners and people in the stock market, what we are dealing with is trying to figure out which of the two factors that drive our economy is leading and which is in retreat. Interesting. And do they jockey back and forth? Well, that's the com- that's the economic question every day. You know, that's what we battle with every day. You, you can, I think Lester Thoreau said that, you know, democracy and capitalism is like an uneasy marriage. You know, one is always in, com- in conflict with one another. Show me an easy marriage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So to, to answer your question, you know, what we're seeing now is a, is a shift from capitalism to democracy. Uh, COVID kind of slapped democracy kind of slapped the economy on its behind and now we're seeing a shift anytime you see government spending the way it has been spending over the last two years you're going to see inflation inflation and the reason that you want to do that is because you and I and our host here no one wants to spend the no one, no one wants to pay taxes for mm-hmm. the amount of services that we get our government by nature is defense spending mm-hmm. so that's what we're seeing right now we're seeing inflation the the war that the Fed had on inflation the 40-year war mm-hmm. has come to an end. As I always say, anything that has a beginning has an ending. Certainly. It has come to an end. Now, do you think that this democratization, as you explain it, is an episode in time, or is this an indication of, of the way things are going to go here forward? I think we're going to see this for a while. I think it was Betty Davis who said, buckle up, we're in for a buppy ride. Hey, wait a minute. I said that a few <laughs> months ago. Are you sure that wasn't me? Well, okay. <laughs> you called it Betty. All right. So tell me how, how if, and why is Orange County different in this economic debacle from the rest of the state or the country? Well, Orange County has always been different. Let's be clear here. Um, I can remember many years ago when I was driving back and forth from downtown L.A. to home here in Orange County, mm-hmm. and I would pass by South uh, Coast Plaza in the, at the, during the Christmas holiday hours. Now, we were in the middle of this 2008, 2009. The economy was bad. But when you drove by that mall and, saw, and even Fashion Island, the parking lot was full. The yeah. parking lot was absolutely full, and I was floored by it. Last year, when the economy was dead still, mm-hmm. people who have money were not affected by this. My point is that Orange County is a wealthy county, so that because of that wealth, the things that affect the outside world, if you will, don't necessarily impact what's going on here in Orange County. Real estate-wise, you hear all these stories, that, and they're true, that people are leaving for Nevada, and they're leaving for Idaho, and they're leaving for Texas and Florida, and that's true. But what we're seeing is 
uh, that the wealthy people or people who have a liquidation event and they, when they want to stay in their homes and they want to upgrade to a larger home, they come to Orange County and mm-hmm. move closer to the coast. Why not? Right. paradise. Right. And as I've been pointing out to people, relatively speaking, our coastline is more affordable than anywhere else in the state. That's true. That's true. You, know, you compare it to L.A. and certainly San Francisco Bay Area. That's true. It's, it's shockingly cheap. Yeah. So, And that's what I've been saying. Do you think that I am on the right track when I say that we're, we're just furthering um, the wealth gap and bifurcation in Orange County as a forever thing? Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So how does that play out economically? It really doesn't. You're seeing it every day. We can drive from this studio right now, 30 minutes, and drive to any type of other communities in Orange County, and it's a world of difference. It almost looks like another world. What you do know? you mean? What are you picturing when you say that? I, I, when I say that is, I mean that there are there are there are communities there where you have a different income gap there as opposed to here in, in, in Orange County. We, I mean, here in, in where we are in Irvine, mm-hmm. we can get on the 55 and drive up to 55 and get off of any of those exits anywhere and anywhere around there, and you will see a different kind of community than you will see here. Right. So you know, there's a there's the gap there, and that gap is growing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting. It, it, You didn't come right out and say it, but we've all been hearing reports of people with lesser means were more greatly adversely impacted by COVID. That's right. And people with lesser means were more greatly impacted by work furloughs. That's true. And on and on and on. Again, as we're saying, widening this gap. And what I'm trying to get my own hands on and explain to my clients, because they're all asking me, how can I get my my soon-to-be college graduate into housing? And all I can say to them is, you need to help them now. You need to not wait because I really believe that they will forever be priced out of the market because it's not going to retreat. No, if if they're going to stay in Orange County, do it now. Yeah, yeah. So you agree with me? And because people keep asking, all right. So when is it going to reverse? When is it going to soften? And I I don't see that based upon the stats that I see. I don't see that happening for eighteen months, even in terms of softening. But I don't see a reversal at all. Do you? No, I, I would say the the first hint of it would be eighteen months from now. But who's mm-hmm. going to sit around and wait for eighteen months? Well, some of these idiots are, and I'm just sorry. I, I don't mean to call y'all idiots, but anyone who had said, you know what, I'm going to come off the market and I'm just going to wait, it's a really long wait. And you might start taking a look at Arizona yes. or yes. New Mexico, mm-hmm. not Texas, not not the Northwest, because those are all in fuego as well. So, Well, I also think in that period of time that you're going to start to see what, what I'm calling a, a premium balance. That at some point, like I said, anything that has a beginning has an ending. So that this march out of California, because those homes are affordable, people are going there and the life there is changing and prices there are changing. And at some point in time, someone's going to look at Texas or Florida or some of these other places and go, well, you know, I might get a little bit more house there, but I got to uproot my family and I want to be near the ocean and I like the California lifestyle. We're not at that that premium equilibrium yet, but Mm -hmm. we're heading there. It's going to take some time. So you think that all of the U.S., is going to become more expensive. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I've been in Texas, and they're complaining right now about $2.50 gas. It's hilarious to a Californian, but they are. You just made my head hurt. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's insane. When I travel, that's the first thing I do getting off an airplane is I look at the gas prices. Now, when you travel, do you talk about housing prices and all of that when, when you're elsewhere? Do people comment on how nutty it is? I look at the Zello, the Zello, is it, is it, is it, 
the, the don't say the Z word. What are you talking about? Well, I well, <laughs> it's easy for someone like me because I'm not I'm not knee deep in it like you are. But I look at the home prices there just as a what up to see what's going on. And mm. there are some really attractive properties that you can get in places like Austin right now. Mm-hmm. You know that a California that wanted to buy a home for half a million dollars would just leap at. Yeah. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. Say two years from now. You know what I wonder about in places like that. Um, because in back earlier in my career, I worked for some big banks. Mm-hmm. And so I saw some of the loan pricing, the mortgage pricing for out-of-state areas, and in particular places where there's weather, where there's extreme weather like Texas and Florida, mm-hmm. two, two cases that I used as examples for decades, the cost to insure the property relative to the home value was enormous. Mm-hmm. And their property taxes relative to the home values are also enormous. And they don't enjoy the protections that we have here. No. And I'm not trying to make this a commercial for California. It simply is what it is. You know, we know that we have our base property tax levy is what you paid for the house. And it will not go up more than 2% per year per Proposition 13. Mm-hmm. In other states, um, they don't have those guarantees. And, and very often, so so we could experience a 1%, and as our home value increases, a 0.8% relative taxation value. And in other states, it could be 3 to 5 to 6%. That's true. Um, and, and that actually does factor into mm-hmm. your cost of home, home ownership. And I, I'd be curious to see how many people have transplanted and had this rude awakening. Hey, wait a minute. Well, I, that's a very good point. I, I like to keep things as close to the to the the beat of things as possible, the heartbeat of things as possible. When we're and I, what I find, and I'm finding that a lot of people who make that move to those other areas mm-hmm. forget certain things. Like right now, those people who have moved to North Carolina, it's cold. It's mm. very cold. That weather is that, real. That, that weather is real, and so they're having some second thoughts. You know. Um, once or twice a year in Florida, they have a hurricane se- uh, season. Mm-hmm. They know it's coming. They can look out on the Pacific or the in, in, in the Atlantic. I'm sorry, and they can see it coming in. Now, people will say, "Well, we have earthquakes here, but we don't know when they're going to happen." So, well, and they don't happen every year. No, they don't. They don't. This is not a seasonal occurrence. But it's the threat of it. But they know they're going to have hurricanes there. So, my point being is that you know. This is always. This is not always a dollar for dollar analysis when you're going to be looking at those places in other states. California mm-hmm. is a tough place to be. Is it expensive? Yes, mm-hmm. but you know, if you are a politically active person, you got to look at that. You got to. You have to consider that because these places, to put it kindly, are not California. Right. Right. And you know, not not to be too extreme about it, but. Almost every time when I have a homeowner say, I'm going to sell my house and move to X other place, mm-hmm. I, I ask them, have you ever been there? Have you spent time there? That's true. Because please, please, please consider renting this house out and not selling it. Sure. Because if you want to come back and any time has elapsed, because of the difference in, in the economy over there, you may not be able to afford to come back to your own home. And I tell you, nine times out of 10, that's exactly what they do. They yeah. come right back. Well, people will take their children on a college tour to mm-hmm. those Eastern cities, those Eastern schools, mm-hmm. and they will take them in the dead of winter so that their, <laughs> their child will see what it's like to live in the winter. Because if you're someone like me that grew up in Michigan, and, you know, you know what it's like there and you don't want any part of it. But these kids here have romanticized mm-hmm. what the weather is. So, you know, you want to take your kid back there. Are you, you that dad? Did you do that? No, no, I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity to do that. But <laughs> I, I, I urge any parent out there whose child is thinking about going to the, the Michigans, the Indianas, the Wisconsin's, the mm-hmm. Nebraska's. Might want to rethink Notre Dame. Or, or just go take your child there. And let them walk around in sub-zero weather and say, this is what it's like. Don't go there in the fall. Right, right. Go there now. One of my nieces went to Pittsburgh, and I was dying the day that she called me. She said, Aunt Wendy, 
I'm out of toilet paper and it's snowing outside. I was like, darling. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to reality. Yes, right. We Midwesterners have a term for the wind. We call it the hawk. And the hawk goes through you. Oh, man. All right. So I, I have the pleasure of knowing Roy socially as well. When we get together and share stories, would you consider sharing your story about how you ended up going to University of Arizona? <laughs> it's great. I was initially recruited to go. My, let me back up. My parents were both teachers. And coming out of high school, I had the opportunity to accept a scholarship offer to Princeton. And it was pretty much done. Back in those days, you didn't question what your parents told you. You basically just did it. And right. I had one more trip to take. And I... Um, took the opportunity to visit this state in the Southwest uh, University of Arizona. I'd never been out west. So, you know, we took off about this time of year. The snow was flying in Detroit, made a connection in Chicago. Snow was flying. I land in Tucson, and it's 95 degrees. <laughs> I'd never seen mountains before. Really? You know, so, no, there are, this is flat land you're coming from. You I know. didn't realize that Michigan was all flat. It is. You know, you can, you can go to the... <laughs> Paul's back there smiling, nodding. <laughs> you can go to the Continental Divide in Denver and basically see Michigan. It's that flat. <laughs> <laughs> it's that flat. Oh, Lordy. So, you know, I land in Tucson, and the guys pick us up, and there are three other guys coming from the east as well, and... And, you know, very, very clever, very effective recruiting practices that they have there. They take three Midwestern kids and they say, they drop us off at the edge of the, of the campus gates and they say, meet us at the student union, just walk up the mall and we'll be on the, on the right side Didn't of the field. Didn't you think that was odd to like get out and walk? I was 18 years <laughs> old. I was enjoying the heat. <laughs> right. So we're walking around and I'm looking, this is kind of cool. Wow, cactus, this is nice. Oh, look at the mountains, they seem so clear. And then I saw a California girl. And we're doing periods <laughs> walking around in circles, and I'm saying, I can go here. So, you know, my mom had this thing whenever you travel, you know, back in those days, you had to call Collect. So, you know, calling Collect, Roy, you know, I accept you. So, so what do you think? Mom, I'm a wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, tell me that's not the best story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's real. I, I'm a Midwesterner, too. I'm a Michigander myself, and I grew up and suffered through those winters. And the minute I could get, you either like it and you live there forever. And, and you tell everybody you're crazy for leaving or you can't wait to get the hell nope. out of Dodge. Nope. The skid marks are still on my head. <laughs> I can just see your head on a swivel looking at all those long legs oh walking by. Oh, my God. And they do things like put U of A on the bo- on the back of their shorts when they're right where the butt is. And they're walking around with the U of A. And you're like, what? Where have I come? <laughs> I'm in heaven. <laughs> we digress, but it was oh so much fun. But... Just for a minute, back to like the matter at hand in the economy and real estate and all of this. So can you give me any notion or, or help us understand what caused the soft market? What happened? Well, the lack of inventory. You've already pretty much, you know. But what caused that? Well, you have a lot of things that are, that are causing that. You, you're having the, the, again, somewhat of the exodus there. You're having uh, a lot of people with a lot of money who want to buy these homes. And mm-hmm. you're having people who have a great, mortgage right now so they're in no hurry to come out of it that's know? what i'm saying you it's know, like so why 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 should i leave why mm-hmm. should, and then you know you, you've got inflation so somebody says well my house is valued at this but i can't go out and get the same house for the same value live in my dream yeah so you mm-hmm. know you know you know think of it as cars if you've got a great car and you're not paying a, a you know paying a a, a, a mortgage i mean a, um, a car note car for note, it right. you know or it's very low 
why wine. trade? So, yeah, yeah the, the, the great terms have disincented many people. Exactly. And what I'm seeing, too, is that older people who would normally have gone into assisted living or care living, they're terrified of it. Oh, without a doubt. You know, and so they're like, I don't think so. I mean, if I'm leaving, it's feet first. Well, and that's that's another thing. If you're an elderly person right now and you're looking at the start of inflation, see, you're hearing all of these these uh, announcements now that we are back at an inflation level that we haven't seen since 1982. And mm-hmm. I remember that I was in college, and you know, I tell all these the kids today, and I say, I remember when CDs were 14, 15 percent. You had the jumbo CD rates, yeah. but but back then interest rates were coming down. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and inflation was coming down. We were at the start of the 40 year war. I remember I was in mortgage back in the 80s, yeah. and I remember we were dancing around when 30 year fixed rates went from 15, 14, 13, yeah. and on that magic day they were under 10 yeah. percent, and it was a single digit. Yes. And we were so excited. They were still dropping. You know, mm-hmm. those of us in the investment area, investment area, we were selling bond funds because when interest rates go down, the value of the bond fund goes up we were mm-hmm. we were loading people up but now we are seeing the reverse of that we're seeing interest rates going in the other way that's one of the reasons why the market's going haywire mm-hmm. you know as my jewish friends say mashugana <laughs> <laughs> doesn't that mean crazy yes it means crazy so somebody told me years ago and i'd love your take on this that technology has actually narrowed the swing of markets and that um, future vicissitudes, if you will, are sort of pre-baked in and anticipated. And so we're, we're not going to see these wild swings um, in interest rates and other things because technology has sort of um, pre-analyzed what's to come. Do you think that's true? I think that's what you're seeing, but you can't ignore the human element. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is fear. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in the stock market. It was down with a thousand points at one time yesterday and it, and, and it came that. back. You know, people are trying to figure out, you know, our, you know, democracy, capitalism, um, what's the Fed going to do? You mm-hmm. know, what's Putin going to do? What's what the president's going to do in response to Putin? You know, mm-hmm. you know you, you, there's a lot of, of concern out there. And the market is an anticipatory agent and mm-hmm. is trying to anticipate what's going to happen. Well, I'm already seeing that with lending. I mean, lenders who know that they're going to be delivering mortgage loans to Wall Street, you know, 30, 60, 90 days from now and into the next quarter is when the Fed rate hikes are anticipated to occur. So they're already increasing interest rates today on the loan originations. And people are confused by that, but it makes complete sense when you understand the the process flow of a loan. Mm -hmm. It gets pulled and it gets sold to investors, you know, down the road. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, but the the whole panic and herd syndrome is what fascinates me. I'm I'm intrigued by why people are fleeing with this emotional panic and not a little bit more of a, a level head and and forward thinking. And perhaps that's just my interpretation. Well, but no, it's, it's that's that's been the the flaw of all of this is that you, you you've got to ignore your emotions. That's why you hire professionals to invest for you. That's why you hire someone like you to do your real estate because we're so we are not personally involved outside mm-hmm. of trying to do what's best for our clients. Mm-hmm. So you, you allow your professional to do the job and you hopefully listen to them. Um. Exactly. Hopefully you listen Hopefully to them. Just, yeah. yeah. And it's not like I pride myself on, oh, I need to be right. But mm-hmm. it breaks my heart when I tell someone what I believe to be true and they don't heed my advice. And later they come back and they say, I should have listened to you. And now they can't do what I recommended because it's forever gone. Well, yeah, we, we see it every day. You know, it amazes me. We go to our butchers to get our meat. We go to our mechanics to fix our car. We go to our dentist to deal with our dental problems, you know. But we're ignoring our medical community on what to do about COVID. We're ignoring our real estate professionals on what to do about selling our home. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, yesterday, there were people in the financial industry that were telling people, now's the time to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, uh-uh. mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get past that. It's interesting. And while I understand being um, an advocate and making your own decisions, I also personally advocate to professionals. I hire professionals. And, you know, I, I have a financial advisor. I have a tax advisor. I have legal advisors. I don't second guess them. Mm-hmm. I'm judicious when I first make the decision with whom to align, certainly. But then I listen. And, and I, you mentioned medical. And I've always been um, a huge skeptic because for a variety of reasons, being a woman in particular, I had to really fiercely advocate to get the correct medical care for myself. Mm-hmm. That didn't mean that once I found someone I found to be confident, I didn't listen to them. True, true. It just meant that I got rid of the ones I didn't have confidence in. Well, you know, it, again, everyone has human frailties and human emotions, and, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the story that um, I'm told about um, Kurt Vonnegut, the, the, the author of Catch-22. Mm-hmm. He was on a boat to, to go to a party given by a hedge fund manager, and he was on the boat with his friend, um, uh, Mr. Heller, Joseph Heller, and, he, and uh, the other gentleman was telling Mr. Vonnegut, you know, this guy makes more money in one day than you've made on all of your copies of Catch-22. Mm. And Vonnegut took a, a break and said, okay, all right, maybe, but I have the one thing that he'll never have. And he says, what's that? He said, I have enough. Nice. So that's the thing that people have to appreciate is that when you have enough, mm-hmm. and and that could be what we're seeing in part of the real estate market that people are saying, I have enough. Hence, they're not selling to Hence one up not, because they got nothing to prove. they got nothing to prove. You know, it's the, the offer hasn't, hasn't come that's, that's provided. Everybody's got a number. You know, but they haven't seen that number yet. Do you think that there is anything that can or might happen to change this? Well, let's see. There's always more money coming in. You know, you, you know, we're all capitalists, right? <laughs> so, right. And yeah. I, I will take that. If you guys want to come and buy a multi-million dollar house, I'm here to serve. That's right. No yeah. question. It's just, it's just a matter of the right offer. Given what you just said a moment ago, which I love, by the way. I mean, there is a lot to be said for being happy and, and grateful for what you have, mm-hmm. you know, and, and finding joy in all the little things around us every day. I, I love that you are so socially minded in your investment strategies and the advice that you give people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you see a relationship between how we as individuals can make investment decisions or make other financial decisions that will positively impact our homelessness and housing crisis that we have is it something that comes to fore ever i think you can always invest socially you can that's always been the question especially when you start talking about esg you know the big knock on it is that well i could take that same money and i can make more money with it yeah mm-hmm. you could you might take a little bit more risk because esg investments tend to tend to have less risk involved but my pushback to them, and particularly when I hear that from people in the um, in the nonprofit world with their endowments, I say, well, in the nonprofit world, you have to give away five percent to maintain your tax-free status. Mm-hmm. So you take that five percent and you put another three percent on top of that for market market returns. You put another two percent for inflation. If you're maybe three now, so you're at ten percent. So if you can put together a social responsible investment portfolio that gets you ten to twelve percent, mm-hmm. and you're able to cover everything. Mm-hmm. What more do you want? Yeah. There it is. And goes enough. right back to having enough. <clears throat> enough. I love that. I, I, I really, truly wish more people espoused that because I think that we would be better off. Yeah. Yeah. This is the greed factor. Can't stand prosperity. Mm. All right. Well, as, as much as I could talk to you all afternoon, I have more personal questions. But, but first, let's take a quick break. And Paul, will you please tell us about our sponsors? 
Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know if I can uh, uh, emphasize enough that you guys always surround yourselves with an incredible group of people like our guest today. Uh, you got a bunch of great strategic partners, and one of them is the sponsor of the show, Ford and DiUlio. Ford and DiUlio is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm, well-respected with experienced attorneys from big law firms. Partners who founded it did so on the concept of aligned interest, where their success is tied to the value of what they achieve for you. Go figure. Where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective, not just dragging it out and running up the bill. And where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or even trial. Yes, they'll fight for you there as well. If you're looking for a fighter like that who's on your side, find him at FordDiulio.com. That's F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O. FordDiulio.com. Well, as always, I got lots of questions for your guest here. I had a feeling. Oh, my goodness. First of all, it's great to have a fellow Michigander here who, who fled the state and isn't always saying, when are you coming home? <laughs> we are escapees. <laughs> <laughs> we got out. So many of my friends and relatives actually say, okay, you've played out in California. When are you coming home? Never. No. This is home. No. Um, I just wonder, as I look ahead, um, will we ever get to that kind of uh, well, you said something very powerful I'm not going to forget it when do we say enough I got enough or are we always looking for more I think that comes with age I think that comes with maturity um, you know we live in Orange County and that's the, the land of more the land of more you know? so <laughs> right. you know I think that in and of itself is an art form I, I, I've come to the point in my life where I try to live that that you know if I have enough, is this enough? Do I need any more? Why do I need any more? So I, I think to answer your question, as I said earlier, I think everything that has a beginning has an ending. And I think the, what's, what's encouraging to me is the amount of younger people. When I say younger people, I define that today as 35 and younger, 35 to 20, who are more interested in the socially responsible investments. They're being more active in the community. They're being more active politically. Their politics may be extremely liberal, but they're involved. So, right. you know, that's encouraging. So, and the other thing that I always wonder about as you do this is this whole ESG movement. We've done lots of shows on it here. In fact, on this floor, there is a big group of investors who are investing in all these startup uh, med techs and stuff mm -hmm. here. And the whole idea is you can do well by doing good. Is that gaining hold or is that just a, a pie in the sky dream here? Well, the United States has been behind in that philosophy for quite some time because we're such capitalists, but I think um, the tagline for my company has always been the invisible hand doesn't have to be a visible fist. And I, I truly believe that. So, you know, your listeners there that are familiar with Adam Smith will, will, right. will pick up that little tagline there. I the think invisible hand of the market here. Yeah. The, the invisible hand, it doesn't have to be a visible fist. So you can do the right thing, you know, by how you define the right thing. And, and that's going to be the question. I've had clients who have decided that uh, their social responsible idea was their version of social responsible investing. They didn't want to own United States bonds, United States, the government United States bonds, because they didn't care for what the government was doing. That's a bit extreme, but mm. you know, everyone has dances to their own tune. But you can invest in Islamic investments. You can invest in um, all sorts of things. The the market is spreading. So to answer your question, it is gaining movement and gaining uh, popularity. And, and last question, do you make as much money or do you give up something because I'm doing good? I think it's, I think it's one of those... those every, every Back to greed again. I, well, I want to do good, but i got to make money. Well, I, I, 
I think you can make money, um, but you know, every now and then, every now and then, and not often enough, not all, and, and, and it doesn't happen often enough, there comes a time when you can kind of you know, walk the line and do both. And I think this is one of those rare opportunities where you can make money, especially over the long term, and you can do the right thing. Well, I'm going to do the right thing and turn it back to Wendy here. She's got some good questions. Good guess. I mean, I really appreciate your point of view, and I think it's, it's something we don't hear enough of. We're always just more and more and more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think you know this, Paul. I, I made a point. Kara and I have talked about, and Kara, my publicist with Alta Lunas, um, we've made a point of saying, I don't want to share this smallest space with anybody I don't think is wonderful. Yeah, right. You know, you show I just that. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Life is too short, and, and I don't want to bring anybody who is less than spectacular to my clients. I work too darn hard to earn their trust, and I'm just not going to go there. And so. I think there's other factors. You're pointing out there's other factors, too. Too often we just think of the home as an investment. Mm -hmm. It's a home. Mm -hmm. It is a home. It is. A, and I think COVID really helped us understand the importance of home. You know, it's where we feel safe. It's where we, we keep our family safe. Yeah. It's where we lick and, our wounds. And it's, where are you going to, what do you want put into that? And, and what mm -hmm. are you willing to do with it? And are you just going to flip it every couple of years and trade it in and go up? I don't right. know. That's right. a different mentality these days. Yeah. Well, my friends come to my house and I've got a really big dog and uh, <laughs> and he's ball crazy. And they're always hesitant to throw the ball. And I'm like, no, this is my house. This is his house. We love this house. We play in this house. We throw the ball. We throw it hard. And if something breaks, I don't care. You know, we're living in this house it's the way home. we want to. Yeah. yeah, it's our home. All right. All right. So, so back to Mr. Roy Allen. Uh, every week, I ask my guests the same list of questions, kind of taken from the Vanity Fair Proust questions. So, let's start with since it's real estate. What city do you call home? Newport Beach. And what do you love about Newport Beach? What do I love about Newport? Um, I like that everyone seems to enjoy living there. You don't, mm. you don't see a lot of frowning faces. You don't, <laughs> not of unhappy folks. Not a lot of unhappy people. Everyone seems to be enjoying their time, and everybody seems to be enjoying, you know, I, I hate to say the lifestyle, but I would, I'll say the, the Southern California lifestyle, the sun, the ocean, you know, and it's very active. I like the fact that everybody's active. Mm -hmm. Well, there, it's been shown there. There's there are studies that prove that you know the weather and the sunshine or the lack thereof, of course, directly influence our That's psyche true. and our sense of well-being. So that makes complete sense. Um, what, if anything, is your most treasured possession? Wow. Hmm. My treasured. I would have to say, you know, of course, you, you want to say your family and friends and and health for for all of the above, including yourself. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, that aside, I'd have to say my experiences because um my my grandmother used to always tell us that you don't become old being a fool <laughs> <laughs> and and i think that the and and my father would always say that they buried a lot of uh they don't bury the old they bury the dead so mm. you know i think that when you combine those two i think that experience gives you wisdom to avoid many things in life so mm -hmm. my every day i gain experience and that becomes the most valuable thing you know, for myself, and you try to pass that on to people who are coming behind you, as I'm sure someone has tried to pass on to me when I was younger. The question is, will they listen? And how well did that work? It's a 50-50 split. <laughs> you know, I, that and 500 is not bad. Yes, that's So, true. That's I mean, that's true. a professional, that, that's a goal to achieve. You don't have my mother here. She'd probably call it 75-25 the other way. <laughs> I'm sure she would. <laughs> Do you have a personal motto? And if so, what is it? Well, it is. Part of it is enough. Mm. And the other one is, I, it's been said that I'm, a, I'm an aggressive person, but I, I do believe that if you're going to do something, 
you know, do it, you know, you know, be all in. So I have a model of uh, if you're going to hell, don't miss heaven by inches. <laughs> I've heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. And I do love that. It's like, you know, if you're going to go, do go. it. Damn it. Go. If you're gonna yeah. Go. Live like you're dying, man. Yeah. Yeah. Get in the game. Yeah. yeah. OK, well. I know how to reach you, but people listening don't. So just for their edification, if people have more questions, they want to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Oh, they can use my email, rallenconsultants at outlook.com. I will respond and get back to you as quickly as possible. And that's R-A-L-L-E-N. Yes. Consultants, plural. Uh, yes. Plural. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for sharing your story. I'm glad to be here. I hope I didn't scare you too much. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I got my mission, my man from Michigan right behind me. Over right. Here. <laughs> Do you guys really call yourselves Michiganders? Michiganders, what an awful thing, like a goose. Michiganders. Michiganders. He yeah. said that. I thought Paul was kidding. Oh, no. no, 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 Michiganders. Wow. That alone tells you what the thinking back there. Yes, yes. Good heavens. Well, you will like next week, so you'll have to tune in because you'll have to join us next week where I am meeting with Mark Brenner, who is a, a, a energy expert at a company called Energy Experts. So he's going to talk <laughs> about green ways to keep your home energy efficient. Oh, I will be tuning in. Fabulous. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being having me on your show. <laughs>